0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always Daniel Levy. Your guest co-host Liam Picks Fights Heslin. Today we're going to be talking about UFC Paris. Cyril Gane versus Sergey Spivak and Liam, it's going down this Saturday night afternoon for us live at the Accor Arena in Paris, Paris, France. You got the former interim champ, the former number 1 contender Cyril Gane who's 11 and 2. Taking on Sergey Spivak, the Moldovan sensation, the polar bear, who's sixteen and three, looking to make a name for himself, and both guys desperately need a win here. And not to mention, it's a clash of styles: striker versus grappler. On paper, I can't think for a, I can't think of a more
1: fitting main event for the UFC's
0: return to Paris.
1: Absolutely, brother. Last year they brought us strikers to light, right? A little bit more of that uh, showcase spot for a guy like Cyril Ghan. But now at 33 years of age, a guy who's coming off of a really disappointing title loss, it's more of a prove-it spot here against a tougher opponent, against a guy who's a little bit more of a stylistic, um, you know, difficult matchup. And additionally, who also beat Taito Avasa, you know, who who ran him for his paper, but in a different way and with less volatility. And so for me, man, this is a very fascinating matchup. And uh, I, I don't really have... As bold a take as I wish I did here, uh, except to say uh, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, without further ado, Liam, let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got Cyril Gan. He's 11 and 2, taking on Sergey Spivak, who's 16 and 3. And currently, they got it Cyril Gahn minus 165. The comeback on Sergey Spivak is plus 145. I got to give this guy, Cyril Gahn, a lot of credit so to come into the UFC at 3 0. 3 0, Liam and you know your only roadblocks are to the best heavyweights on planet earth john jones the best fighter of all time francis and ganu the best heavyweight at the time those are your only setbacks i mean like like i said you come into the ufc at three and oh you're this phenom a guy that he's he's a heavyweight but he's moving like a middleweight he's switching stances he's looking elusive he's looking super athletic he's getting leg locks and stuff like that right and uh You know, he didn't stumble when he got to the Volkovs and the Rosenstruks and the Junior Dos Santos. He only stumbled when he got to the best of the best. And I know a term that you like to say is one could make the argument that he got audited on the mat but i think that we have to get down to the nitty-gritty i think we have to give context and i think we and i think that's exactly what we're gonna do and on the other side sergey spivak he's a guy that had to take his setbacks early on you remember the walt harris fight in his debut got rammed through i mean he didn't have an easy upbringing in, in his ufc career he went one and two to start things off lost that decision to tybura then he went on a nice little streak had the setback to Aspinall. And then he moved to the United States. His physique has completely changed. He looks like, now he looks like a polar bear. And uh, I love to see the improvements this guy is making. But everyone's talking point. I'm sure I haven't heard what people have to say, but I assume it's, well, all, all you know, Spivak has to do is just get this to the ground. I mean, because that's what, that's how, uh, you know, Cyril Gan lost all these fights. But you're a grappler. You understand that. You know, the way the takedown style of John Jones is completely different than the takedown style of, of Sergey Spivak. And not to mention... Francis Ngannou might not be known for, you know, he's known for the one-hitter-quitter, you know, launching dudes' heads into the fifth row. But people often forget that his fight prior to, uh, to the fight against Cyril Gann, he actually took down D1 wrestler Stipe Miocic. He suplexed him, right? So we had already seen signs that Francis had been developing um, all areas of his game. But I think the point I'm trying to make here is that it seems like it's more singles and double legs that are getting Spivak, uh, that are getting Cyril Gann down. Whereas Spivak, he's more of a a trip to a judo throw kind of guy. It's not as many, you know, traditional American style takedowns, the singles, the doubles. And that's what I think the difference is here, Liam.
1: Yeah, I would tend to agree, but I I think that there's even a little bit more to it than that, uh, which is, you know, Sergei Spivak, you can kind of go through. And I like to always see, can I poke holes in somebody's resume? You know, and to your point, it's hard to poke holes in Cyril Gan's resume other than the two losses to the last two lineal heavyweight champions of the UFC. It's like, all right, I mean, those are tough ones, right? It's going to be hard matches to win. Let's talk about them specifically. I bet Francis Ngannou, he was plus 135. I thought that was a great number. That was a very close fight. I mean, it, we're talking about a fifth round decides the fight, maybe one boneheaded decision from Cyril Gan I would argue Francis initiated a sweep that could have been defended and then he went for a leg lock instead like why, why would you do that? It was a boneheaded decision. He made it because he was too aggressive in the grappling. He lost that fight. Tough sailing. This is why I always say the UFC has some things in mind, things that they'd like, but it doesn't always go their way. And that's why you have to pick your spots where you stand against them. Uncle Dana is rooting for Cyril Ghosn in that one. I hate to tell you guys. Look at what's happened with Francis in the interim. So I think that. That was a writing on the wall type of performance. Francis went out there and he wasn't going to entertain and he wasn't trying to hurt anybody. He was trying to win by any means necessary, get out of his contract. Okay, John Jones. Who in their right mind thought it was a good idea to put Soril in there with John Jones? It's like the guy who's done it all, proved it all, against the best guys, been around for a long time. And by the way, what's the foundation of his style? American wrestling. He's been around doing it for the longest time. New York boys will teach you how to wrestle once again. Never forget. And John Jones went out there, and for a long time in his career, he was known for his ground and pound, his devastating submissions, going out there and taking people to the mat. And he stopped doing that because he was fighting guys at light heavyweight, where he was half jogging out there, throwing a couple of strikes, you know, out there dancing with Tiago Santos on one leg. John Jones didn't even look like he was being very aggressive in his fights. He was kind of just out there to be out there, leaving Anthony Smith on on the hook all night, just like dancing around with him too. And then you look at that fight with uh, Gantt it's a different John Jones. He brings the pressure, the aggression, and by the way, the lights couldn't have been any brighter. This guy is out there against the best to ever do it, and he probably was watching him on TV five years ago. He's like, how? Did, like, what happened that I'm in here right now? I thought that that was a psychological break more than technique at all. You know, it by the time the choke was locked on, he was ready to go home. He had already been ready to go home. That for me was something different than oh my god, this guy in every position, he had nothing in the grappling. No, we've seen before. Gone has surprised us with grappling, right? Dante Mays, a guy that likes to go out there, take people down, wrestle, try and get on top. What happened in that fight? He was trying to do that and then he broke late. He gets submitted to your point. So I think Soril Gan's a guy that his aggression has cost him in the past on the mat. I think he's not going to be as aggressive here. But I do think that he has an athleticism gap with a guy like Sergey Spivak. I think S- Sergey Spivak losing to Marcin Tabora is the kind of loss that separates him from somebody like a Cyril Gan in my mind. You know, Marcin Tabora, he's kind of an all, all-rounder, master of nothing, but just good at everything, you know, can kind of pick his spots. I bet Marcin plenty of times. But when he was out there in that fight, he was out wrestling, Sergei Spivak. He was having the better of it. And Marcin's not that strong a guy. Look at how Alexander Romanov treated him in the first round. You know, a lot of guys are able to go downhill on Marcin Tybora. And then it's a question of whether they gas out and he can pick it back up again, right? That, for me, is not what you're going to see with a guy like Sorogan. most of the time. He's normally dictating fights to other people. I mean, Derek Lewis in Houston said no mas, like just decided the fight was over, you know? And I think of a guy like uh, Spivak as a guy that a little bit soft to the body. You see the same kind of uh, swir- like basically a bursting, blitzing, flying knee barrage is what got him out of there against Walt Harris and then against uh, Tom Aspinall. Tom's done that to more than one guy, but the other guy was Jake Collier. So let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? He like need him in the body and the guy folds over right after. That's exactly what happened with Sergei Spivak in that fight. He got hit with that combination to the body and then the elbow over the top, and he was out of it. So Tom Aspinall, fast, dangerous, better finisher historically than Sirogan. but he's another guy who I view as like, you know, a top five guy trying to break into the to the title scene. And I haven't always felt that way about Sergey Spivak. He seems to me like a guy who'll stick around, keep getting wins, but more of a specialist that will uh, run into athletic, uh, you know, dimensions he just can't deal with and i feel like this is one of those opportunities so i think syril gan's going to win i think he's probably going to hurt him uh to the body and then finish him um and i would not be surprised based on all i've seen from syril gan in the past if he attempted submissions in this fight um i know that spivak will be attempting grappling wrestling as long as he's alive so then if that's the case i think syril gan could hurt him could put him in vulnerable positions And we've seen his aggression even in a title fight to go for a leg lock in the fifth round. The guy is willing to attempt them. I feel like if you're saying in every interview, everybody's like just making fun of this guy. He can't grapple. He can't wrestle. He can't do whatever. You don't think that's going to motivate a guy like that? I I think it personally might. So um, I wouldn't get cute with a KO prop if you're on the gone side. Uh, If you were looking at him to win inside the distance, I would look at him inside the distance um, just as a heads up. So. Uh, that's how that's the way I'm seeing this.
0: I mean, I would just take money line because if you think about this, if the Jones fight had never happened, he'd be minus 270 in this spot. Um, and that's just the fact. And you know, we do have to put context in the fact that Spivak has made a physical transformation, but what about mentally, right? Because we talk about it all the time he can give it, but can he take it too? And every single time that he's faced adversity. I haven't really seen him overcome much of it, man. I mean, you know, whether it was the debut against Walt Harris, whether it was the Aspinall fight, and, and I get it. Those are very, very heavy hitters, but you didn't see much fight back in those spots. And not to mention, and this is not disrespect to Alexei Olenek, who, you know, I mean, the dude's got how many schoolyard headlock finishes in MMA, right? And, you know, it's funny. Um, a black belt put me in one of those recently, and, like, I was like, bro, it would be embarrassed if I tapped right now. And when I felt that pressure, I was like, oh, my God, I'm about to get tapped out. Now I understand what it feels like when all these damn heavyweights get put in that same spot. And I did tap out. I was like, wow. And I told the dude, I was like, wow, that was embarrassing. He's like, bro, Alexei Olenek's hit like 10 of those. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I, I get it now. Um, but anyways, the reason I brought up Olenek is, you know, that fight was 29-28 unanimous. You know, Alexei Olenek uni- unanimously won a round against uh, Sergei Spivak, right? And, and, and I get it. You know, when you just look at it, black and white. Oh, oh, just grapple him, this and that. It's not that simple. He does not have that traditional American style. And it's funny because John Jones is more known for being a Greco guy, and he was out there. Uh, remind me the takedown he got on him. It, was it was it a double leg? I, I don't remember off the top of my head because I'm
1: more focused. I, on I that. feel like they meshed each other into the clinch. It said it said on UFC stats that John got two takedowns, and I feel like Cyril got like barreled over to his knees. Like, I don't feel like there was much technique involved, but I'll, I'll rewatch, um, and get a clearer opinion. But, uh, that fight, I remember watching it live that night and just thinking there was nothing technical at all that happened. Everybody's like, Oh my God, John Jones, is the best. I was like, yeah. And also Cyril God didn't want to be there. You know, like it looked like Donald Cerrone in one of his losses on the biggest stage where the, right. the technique has nothing to do with it. He knows how to strike. It's not, he does not know how to kickbox or something. It's like, no, the, he's the moment's too big. He's like, Please get me out of here. These cameras are are on me. The lights are on me, and I'm in here with somebody I shouldn't be.
0: I feel you, but I will say that guillotine w- was locked in. It wasn't, you know, uh, remember like a Marcos de Lima pays out fight from like when he fought Nikita krilov and Antigulov where he was like tapping out the shit that wasn't locked in. that gu- that guillotine was locked in. But I do agree that, you know, the moment was simply too big for him so you know no no uh debate there but back to the whole oh, all he has to do is grappling but it's that grappling style that where I think it's going to be the issue because Cyril Gaunt is so damn elusive he's always switching stances he's always circling on the outside you have to track a man like that down and the way that Francis was able to do it was to kind of pin him up against the fence mixing the double legs from there whereas again Sergei he's, he's more of a judo throw kind of guy he's more of a hip toss guy he's more of a trip you get you off balance and then hip toss you and I think that's going to be kind of hard to do, especially if you know it's coming. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, Cyril Gan might actually put this man out um, and get back on track. Remind people that hey, this guy actually is a phenom. Like I said, to make it to the UFC at three and zero, and your only setbacks are the two best guys on planet Earth. Like you made it all the way there. You even want an interim belt in the in the process. Look how he handled. Al, uh, Volkov. Look how he handled Tuivasa. Not granted, look how uh, Spivak handled Tuivasa, too. I thought that Gan was a bit cleaner, but that's neither here nor there. MMA math doesn't mean shit. Both handled Lewis nicely, but I'm just saying, uh, sometimes these fights are like shutouts, and Gan has consistently put up the kind of numbers that we like. He's reached that 100-significant strike threshold on more than one occasion. I mean, we were talking about over 130 significant strikes in certain fights in the full five rounds more than once so it's about okay if you're picking spivak because of this grappling edge are we saying that one takedown and the fight is over shortly after is that is that what you're expecting because i mean look don't get me wrong if i'm gonna bet gone i don't want spivak taking his back i don't want spivak in full mount obviously like i'm I'm not delusional here but i don't think it's going to be that simple um i think he's i think Spivak's really going to have to track this man down. I think he's going to be hard to find. And I think he's going to be eating sidekicks to the knee. I think he's going to be running into straight shots. Knees down the middle. Um, So, yeah, I'm going uh, Cyril Ghan to remind people that, you know, he just had a a setback to, you know, the two best guys on planet Earth. You shouldn't hold that against him. And, uh, you know, word on the street, according to him, you know, talk is cheap, obviously. But he said after the Jones fight, He got embarrassed to a point where he literally was in the gym the next week. It wasn't, you know, one of those... You know depression stints where he took six months off from training and you know now he weighs 350 pounds and oh no this guy like it was like oh that was a wake-up call because everything came so easy to him up until that point and people even after the francis fight people were kissing his ass telling him oh you got robbed and this and that whereas the reality was no you didn't get robbed you won the first two rounds had that been a three-round fight you would have won but it wasn't a three-round fight it was a championship fight and uh francis and ganu made the necessary adjustments to go out there and win those last three rounds and when you talk about the big debate in that last round was it a sweep or was it a leg lock attempt was it a little bit of both you know these are the kind of things you can fix in the gym right we're not talking about a situation where a guy is getting dropped by jabs where his chin is going like what are you supposed to do then right we're talking about little mistakes that a guy as athletic as talented as him hopefully the work ethic is is meeting the the talent and if it does man if the mental can catch up with the physical i mean he's already been an interim champ um I do think it's still bright skies for him. And that's not to take away from Spivak because again, we've talked about his physical transformation. We talked about the fact that He's come over to the United States. He's been beating some top level guys. He knows exact. Look, Spivak was in Atlanta recently for the PFL fights because his uh, his girlfriend uh, Marina Mokdatina. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but she's she's fighting in the finals against Lursa Pacheco. So he was there cornering her, and like Spivak was a super nice guy. And dude, guess what? Every single fucking person that walked up to him told him, "Take Cyril down, take Cyril down." Like if you think this guy doesn't know like what the game plan is here i mean obviously he knows that uh mm-hmm. what he's got to do here but I still think gone is a young talented guy he was only born in 1990s i mean he's only he's only what 33. i i still think it's bright guys for him I know that Spivak's five years younger but it's but he, we're talking about heavyweights here some of these guys don't even reach their peak till 38 39 40 and we're talking about heavy. we're not talking about the lighter weight classes so I'm not giving up on on Gan yet now if he pulls if he pulls a stunt here, then, then we might have to reconsider, but I, I'm not willing to write him off just because he lost. I mean, what, what would John Jones and, and, uh, and, uh, sorry. Our boy in and Yeah. What would John Jones and ganu do do to Spivak? They, they would, they would absolutely mop him in a way where we might not hear from Spivak for six to seven months, you know, maybe a full year. So. Yeah, I, I'm just not holding that against him too much. And uh, I'm willing to give Gon another chance, especially at, at these odds. So I got Gon here.
1: Love it, man. Gon's only two losses were in Vegas. And, uh, you know, now he's in his home. You know, he's in his backyard. Last time when he faced some adversity in Paris, he was able to deal with it. And that's against a guy who could really threaten him on the feet, who really had that danger factor at all times. Where Gon wants to operate on the feet, you know, he had that danger. I think now gone is going to be able to operate with a lot more fluidity on the feet. So long as he's defending those takedowns, I think it's, it's not going to be very close.
0: Yeah. Um, And then when Bisbing fought Dan Henderson the first time and he got knocked out brutally. And then his next fight, he fought this dude, Dennis Kang, you know, Dennis Kang was talking all kinds of crazy shit was talking. He was like giving quotes in French and fucking uh, talking about, you know, has his chin been properly rested and this and that. And, you know, Michael Bisming's response was like, I'm pissed off, I'm embarrassed, but he said it in his, you know, British accent and stuff. And I think that's got to be how God feels right now. I'm pissed off, I'm embarrassed, and it's it, it's time to go out there and remind people, you know, what the deal is, that you really are one of the top guys. You just lost the literal two best heavyweights on planet Earth. Uh, so, you know, all respect to Spivak, of course. you got to acknowledge his improvements and that he does have a path to victory in this fight. But, you know, to say it again, Ghana's my pick here. Co-main event of the evening in the flyweight division, we got Manon Fioro. She's 10-1, and welcoming Rose Nama Yunus, who's 11-5, and to the flyweight division. And currently, they got it, Manon Fioro, minus 175. The comeback on Rose Nama Yunus is plus 150. Rose Nama Yunus is really interesting because she's one of the most talented athletes Um I'd say at strawweight, but just in women's history, I mean, she's a two-time strawweight champion. She's beat some of the best strawweights on planet Earth, Joanna twice, Wai Lee twice, and just in the pocket, her hands are so fast. That kick came out of nowhere against Wai Lee. You've seen some improvements in the wrestling. Now, we look at that as Esparza fight, And people might say, well, she got out wrestled there. That's actually not really what happened. I think it was more so the threat of the takedown is what made her hesitant. Or just sometimes she's in her head. I mean, I I personally have always had an issue with who are coaches, you know, Pat Berry. And, you know, when you're around a guy like that 24-7, I just don't like that negative energy. So sometimes, you know, Rose is one of those head cases. But when she's on her game, she's one of the best in the world. And I don't think that size is going to be a factor. In this fight like a lot of people do like like her moving up uh, oh automatically she's gonna lose just because she's moving up i don't think size is the factor here size would be a factor if we were dealing with you know someone coming with a takedown heavy approach and that's not what manon fioro does but what i think is going to give rose problems liam is that manon fioro is not going to give her that kind of pocket you know boxing type fight that Joanna gave rose Nama that wiley who's kind of a plotter and a marauder gave uh rose nama i think that manon fioro is going to be on the outside and she's going to make rose nama come to her and that's where again you know similar to gan you're going to see those sidekicks to the body to the legs you're going to kind of see more output i think you're going to see a bit of frustration from those uh, rose nama in that third round and late second round in the second andrage fight you saw those calf kicks starting to add up uh, you know, uh, uh, for, you know, for Andraj against Rose. And I think that that's something that Manon might take from tape and try to implement here. Kind of make her chase you. Run on the outside. Make it a frustrating three-round fight. Don't give her that pocket boxing type fight she wants. Don't get, in the, don't get into a firefight. Don't, you know, don't go, let's not have a... I know they're women, but let's not have a dick measuring contest here. Let's just pick this woman apart, be elusive, make her chase us. And I do think Manon Fioro can come out here and
1: win this decision. You know, I, I definitely wouldn't put it past her. Talented girl. Um, but the more I've looked into this fight, you know, the more I feel like I don't want to get caught with my pants down, fading Rose Nami Yunus again. Like, if you just look at my past history, uh, I tweeted out the other day, um, and I was very proud of it that sometimes it only takes one, right? I had a big bet on Carla Esparza against Rose Namajunas, and I feel like I got away with one there, not in the sense that she wasn't a deserved winner, but just in the sense that neither woman had any interest in fighting that night, right? So it was two women that didn't make contact for 25 minutes. And I I don't know what else to say. You know, it's not a fight that is worth, like, re-taping. You'll just waste your time and your life. Um, There's nothing that happens. There is no fight. I watched it live that night and went, I can't believe what is unfolding in front of my eyes. Guys, Carla Esparza got married a week after that fight. Her and Rose are friends. I'm just, like, I hate to say, her and Rose are friends. They went out there to not hurt each other. And that's just the way it is. So that's rare in cage fighting, right? I think that Manon Farrow is just some girl to Rose Namajunas. You know, at the end of the day, I feel like she's just some girl. So she's going to go in there and try and hurt her. Like she did against Zhang Wei Lee Li, and like she did against Jessica Andrade and a lot of other people. She's friends with Carla. You can go find pictures of them online. They hang out and stuff. Like, okay, they're, they're friends. They didn't want to hurt each other, right? We saw it with uh, the two guys in the PFL getting banned. Like, that's kind of what happens sometimes when friends are fighting. It's a little awkward, you know. May, maybe it'll it'll f up the barbecue if we get into a real fight here and somebody gets hurt. So I think that this is the kind of fight where Rose Nami Yunus is a is a hot and cold fighter. She's a hot and cold commodity. But I tried to fade her twice with Zhang Wei Li. I thought Zhang Wei Li maybe edged it in that second one, but. It was no better than a pick'em, right? I didn't get any better than the number that I got. So for me, Rose Namajunas is somebody I've constantly underrated. I thought Carlos Barca was going to take her down, finish her on the ground with a submission. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. It was the greasiest split decision of all time that nothing happened. And so I'll take the money. I'm glad I got it. Thank you very much for the memories. But I don't feel like I want to lay the chalk here because Manon Ferreau. I, I always talk about the principles I have with laying chalk. I like you to have multiple paths. What is her multiple paths here? I feel like her path here is to win this fight via decision, or maybe she knocks out Rose. I mean, is that really plausible? Is that super high percentage? I don't think so. So I think it's probably a decision. Like, who is she knocking out in the UFC? Undersized girls that are coming up a weight class on short notice and stuff. Not really the highest level. So against the good girls that she's fought, it's going to decision. Rose is a girl that I've gotten jobbed out on the decision before. I've gotten one to go my way. Take it. But I'm now looking at it like, This is probably split decision type territory. We're in Paris. So uh, obviously you'd prefer to be on the side of the Parisian or the French person in Paris. If it's a close decision and the crowds go, oh, every time you land a shot. I think that's definitely going to be something to consider here. But Rose Namajunas is a global star. She's the biggest social media following on this card. Like she is a a well-known fighter, former UFC champion. I think she might get a pop in, in Paris too. I think they might be excited to see her. So they're definitely going to be riding for Manon Faro, but Rose Namajunas is still Rose Namajunas. And if she's doing the you know prayers up and the lights go down and she looks like she's about to spin and kick somebody into another dimension, I'm not going to want to have the minus 180 in my pocket. Uh, and she's looked some fights like she's there uh, to get on a bus to go nowhere. And she's looked at some fights like she's like, like an uncaged animal. So I feel like Rose Namajunas is just a... A little bit unpredictable. And so for that reason, I don't want to lay the chalk against her.
0: I mean, I hear what you're saying, but just looking at it stylistically, like back to like Wiley, right? Like, and I, so I've bet on Rose sometimes and I've bet against her sometimes and I've been right and I've been wrong. Like this the Wiley fight that went the distance. I had Rose there. And at the time I kind of felt lucky that I I cashed that. And I also bet Rose in her rematch against Joanna. You know, she was dog odds at both those fights. But then I bet Jessica Andrade in the rematch kind of thought that I had the value there at plus 160 or whatever it was. It was a very close fight. Um, And then I've been dead wrong in some spots like Karate Hottie. But then I've been super right on spots like Carolina Kovacevic in Atlanta where, you know, tough first round. But, man, those knees in the clinch got brutal in the second and third UFC 201, the night that Woodley dethroned Robbie Lawler, shed a tear. Um, you know, uh, there's been nights when you can break her. But but the reason that, you know, I hear what you're saying in terms of your concern of split decision territory but the reason I don't view this like the the Zhang Wei Li fight, Zhang Wei Li, excuse me, because I know someone's gonna write me a fucking paragraph about how I pronounce her name, um, it is because, like I said, Zhang Wei Li is kind of a plotter, kind of a marauder, kind of gets in your face, tries to you know fight you in the pocket, and that's what Rose Yunus wants. Rose Yunus has super fast hands, and while she does have you know nasty kicks from time to time most of her success is predicated in the pocket whereas um manon fioro is is not gonna be in this girl's face she's gonna be hard to find rose is gonna have to track her down this girl's gonna be running around the octagon picking pointing making sounds which you know you know the judges love and i I just don't i think it's gonna be a very frustrating fight for Rose Namajunas. And, and the whole knockout or whatever, you don't need knockouts to win fights, especially in the women's divisions. Give me a 30-27. I don't give a shit. So I, I just think that it's going to be a, like a frustrating fight for Rose where she's got to really chase her down and and Manon is good on the outside. Manon can circle for all three rounds, sidekick, pick and poke, and not give Rose Namajunas that pocket fight that she wants, not give her that those uh, chances to really let her hands go because we know Rose has super fast hands. We know Rose can create chaos at times. We know how athletic she is, but I just don't think Manon is going to give her those opportunities. And again, I don't give a shit about this narrative about, oh, she's going up and this woman's much bigger. I'd give a shit if Manon was some you know, pressure heavy grappler, then then I'd give a shit. That's that's irrelevant to me. It's just about the fact that I really think Manon's gonna be on the outside just picking her apart. Like, look what she did to the number one contender in the Bantamweight division, uh Ma Mayra Shitara Buenosilva. Like, yeah, I know some girls that beat her by decision before, but those girls had to go through hell. Remember the hell Marina Moros had to go through. Remember Marina Moros's calf at the end of that fight? Whereas uh Manon Fioro just easily 30, is her and like you know is dropping her with sidekicks and you know, so I do actually think Rose is going to look more healthy at this weight class because she was a big straw weight. So, again, though, the weight class, weight class, weight class, I don't give a shit about that. It's just a style matchup for me. And I don't think Manon is going to give her the fight she wants. I think she's going to frustrate her. And and I see a 30 27 here.
1: I could, like I said, I could definitely see it. But the, the things that are are concerning me, uh, besides what I had already mentioned, it's just. What about the takedown upside? Do you think that there's any takedown upside for Nami Yunus here? Because she is moving up. Um, so that could be something that makes it harder to wrestle, right? Going against bigger women. And I don't think Manon Ferro is just a zero on the mat. I think that that would be unfair. Um, but she's definitely a, a primary striker. Rose Nami Yunus attempting like uh, .6. Uh, or 0.7 sub attempts per 15 minutes, uh, going for takedowns, normally averaging over one per 15 minutes. And kind of the, the Zhang Wei Li fight, the reason that didn't go my way is she's getting takedowns late in that fourth and fifth round. So I feel like she just has a little bit of mix-up to her game, whereas I would be surprised if Manon went for takedowns here. She does have takedowns against some of the smaller girls she fought, but uh, gave up only one takedown, I think, in the UFC to Jennifer Maya. So do you think that Rose could have any success there, or is that not something you see?
0: I mean, you know, you know who else Jennifer Maya took down and won a round against right Valentina and I know Valentina. I think
1: Valentina is the most overrated wrestler and grappler in women's MMA history. And I I have said that um, publicly several times. I just, I I think that's been borne out now But where's she like girls that are not known for being primary grapplers out grappler for two, three rounds in a row. It's like that, then then you have to start saying, oh, maybe it's age, but also people are a little bit too high on.
0: Well, I agree. She's also, you know, on her way out and technically or, you know, historically speaking, when champions lose their belt, they don't often come back and win it again, especially at that age, you know. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you there. But I'm just saying, like, these people have tried to take Fioro down. And, and the reason that it's hard to do so is back to my talking point. She's elusive. She's always moving. Like, she's not standing stationary. Like, we're going to talk about this kid coming up who's making his debut um, named um, Loughran, Colin Loughran. And that Talk about a stationary target. Talk about a punching bag, right? But Manon Fioro is just always on her feet, always moving, making you chase her. And I think that that's really tough to, you know, just to, yeah, maybe a, a takedown. And, of course, you know, Rose, man, She's underrated, especially when she takes the back. I, I understand that. I just think it's going to be really hard to track down Manon, and that's why um, I don't view it as a split-decision type fight. But, you know, of course I could be wrong, <laughs> but that's just my read. So featured bout in the lightweight division, we got Benoit Saint-Denis. He's 11-1, and taking on Thiago Moises, who's 17-6. and Currently, they got it. Just depends where you look. Um, But I see Benoit Saint-Denis minus 175. The comeback on Thiago Thiago Moises is plus 140. Um, This is a very good fight. I got so much respect for Saint-Denis because I bet on uh, Elisio Zaleski dos Santos in that debut. And, you know, this dude, firstly, we can talk about that ref all we want. But let's, you know, let's not even give that guy any shine or or hate, which he deserves. Let's talk about the heart and the balls and the will to win. Of, uh Santini that guy man he's so tough and I heard his interview today and he was talking about how like man if I'm down on the cards I will take a risk and possibly risk myself getting finished to get my desired outcome and you just love hearing that like the dude is so mentally strong and I just respect everything about him and after that you know what many people consider to be a life changing beating against Zaleski he's rebounded admirably not granted Big step downs in competition, but he treated them like big step downs in competition. And now he's getting a guy in Thiago Moises who's been through the gauntlet. I mean, when you want to talk about, you know, paying your dues, and firstly, Thiago Moises is only 28, Liam. <laughs> he's just entering his prime right now. We're talking about a guy that made his UFC debut against Benil Dariush. Then he fights the recent ultimate fighter winner, Kurt Hullabo. Then he fights Demir Ismagulov. And I'm not talking about Demir. With the health issues who just retired i'm talking about demir back when demir was you know that emerging like what 21 and one uh kazakh fighter that people were saying could be a future top 10 guy and it, so he starts off his ufc career one and two okay here's michael johnson a guy that knocked out poirier a guy that beat tony ferguson in his prime a guy that beat edson barboza in brazil overcomes a very tough first round submits him in the second hey Here's Bobby Green, one of the most seasoned guys in the whole sport. Like, a lot of people thought it was a controversial decision, but it was a unanimous decision nonetheless. And, and regardless of who you scored it for, I thought he performed admirably. Takes on the hype train Alex Hernandez, another 30-27. Then they're like, here's Islam Makachev. And look, I, I got to tell you what. He landed a takedown on Islam Makachev. He lasted longer than Charles Oliveira did it. And longer than Drew Dober, longer than a lot of guys did against Islam Makachev, you know, good stuff, kid. Joel Alvarez, listen, man, Joel Alvarez is a tough matchup because the guy's six foot three with a seventy-seven inch reach, and he misses weight every single fight. So you know, it's a welterweight versus a lightweight, and that guy he kind of steamrolled steamrolled him a, a little bit, but Joel Alvarez is known for doing those kind of things. Um, and then he gets to step down against Christos Giagos, which like christos he's a step down but he's a seasoned ufc vet and he treated him like a step down then he gets costa uh mel costa another step down treats him like a step down then you see mel's subsequent fight and he looks like wow like this kid is fucking impressive so i think the level of competition difference is night and day and the fight open to pick him for a reason because benoit Saint-Tenis, he's shown. He's shown the goods in terms of, hey, these lower level guys can't hang with him. So now let's test him with, you know, a fringe top 15 guy. But this fringe top 15 guy is not, you know, 35, 36. He's 28. He's already been there with the who's who. And the line is no longer a pick em like it once was. Now it's, you know, plus 140. So honestly, I think that the value here is on Chiago Moises. I think that this fight, it can be competitive. It can be tough. I don't know which way it's going to go. But when I kind of line it 50-50, and even if you want to, say, give a slight edge to Benoit because it's in France or whatever the case may be, that's fine. But I, I still think plus 140 is a bit off in this spot and I might be willing to roll the dice here. I think this is a massive step up in competition. I think that Thiago Moises has paid his dues, and I think he can hang with this guy everywhere. Thiago is a jiu-jitsu world champion. His kicks are nasty. He's getting a lot more comfortable on his feet, and he's been through the gauntlet. I mean, it's not like we have to wonder what happens when he steps up in competition. He's been stepping up in competition since the day he stepped foot inside the UFC's octagon, and now they're finally giving him guys that – you know, and it's no disrespect to Benoit, but, you know, it's not an opinion. It's a fact that Benoit has nowhere near the experience of this guy. Right. So I think that this is kind of one of those experience type fights, one of the maybe maybe even a levels fight. But but I, I just don't want to discredit the toughness of santini because like 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 I said, when I mentioned his, in, his interview earlier, like the guy said, like, dude, even if I'm losing on the cards, I'm going to take that risk. To try to finish the fight so i respect everything about him he might be one of the toughest guys on the roster but at the end of the day as a gambling man it comes down to the number for me and uh at plus 140 i think i might be willing to roll the dice
1: yeah, I, I took a shot here on Benoit Saint Denis at the early price. Um, so I did bet him here at the pick'em type price. I, I think I bet him minus one thirteen. Well, and you did, you did your job. He's like minus 170 now. So Yeah, and and I hate that. I'll tell you the truth. I hate that, right? I don't I like a little closing line value. I don't like a lot, right? Because Marco Sergio de Lima, when I bet him at uh whatever it was, I think plus one hundred or minus one thirteen, whatever it is, and then he closes minus two hundred, I'm like. Uh, I've seen this story before. You know, yeah, I but, yeah but, 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 Liam, but Liam, Liam. Yes.
0: <laughs> like, okay. So, so you would have lost no matter if you took the minus 110 or the minus 200, right? But which one would you have lost more on, right? So, at the end of the day, minimize your loss, maximize your wins. So that's all I'm trying to say here. Like, even if Chiago comes out here and wins this fight, like the fact that you bet him minus 110 or whatever you did, like you're saving money compared to if you bet him now at minus 170, like I see a lot of other people doing. So already you're on the right side of the coin. So everything else is conspiracy theory bullshit to me. The bottom line is, if you're going to lose this fight, you minimize your loss. If you're going to win this fight, you maximize your win. You did your job.
1: Absolutely. But the other thing is, if you can tell where a line is going to move, then you can position yourself to make a different decision later in the week, right? If I know that Benoit Saint-Denis is going to take a lot of love, I get in early. I get the number I want that I think is fair. But then if I decide later in the week, oh, my God, he, he came in looking a little iffy on the scale, this and that. Now I have a plus 140 to buy off so I don't have to take an L. You know, I could just get off the position. So for me, that's something that I always take into account is if I, I – I, one of my skills, in my opinion, is that I can predict where markets are going to move. Not every time, not on every fight, but some of them just feel obvious. Yeah, a guy on the main card who's from France who's on a three-fight win streak and he's coming off a win as a big underdog. Yeah, that, that guy's going to see some attention. But the thing for me is that I've been there fading. Benoit Saint-Denis, to your point, Eliza zaleski Santos, give me the year. I'm like, he's coming in and he's going up a weight class against this murderer who is a spinning uh, wheel kick assassin, who's knocked out Sean Strickland in the first round. Like pe- people don't know easy dose. So easy dose. I think he lost a fight in China to uh, Li Jingliang And so It's like, yeah, okay. We'll give him a pass on those. Like he's still one of the most dangerous guys in the welterweight division. And he can go on the mat as well. He's not like out of place anywhere. So I was like, this is a terrible matchup. And he went out there and to your point showed insane heart, insane toughness, I often used the descriptor, fighting like a soldier. Bro, he is a soldier. He fights like a soldier, but he fights like an insanely tough special forces psycho who's not going down unless you kill him. I bet they put some kind of special you know, supplementation in this guy when he was in the French special forces because this guy don't go down, bro. I was watching Benoit Saint-Denis, and I loved everything about him regionally. But I was like, this isn't the fight for him. And he got smashed uh, in that fight you know, took a huge beating. And then I was scared to bet him. I was like, oh my God, like this is probably a fight that changed his life forever because this stupid referee didn't stop it. But then instead he comes out and he starts putting together this win streak where he looks dominant. He's taking guys down. He's muscling them around the ring. And then Ismael Bonfim, everybody's selling me that this is the best, the, the second coming of uh, of the Lord. I'm like, maybe I don't see that, right? He He lost to all good guys, right? You can't even poke holes in the resume prior to the UFC. He had lost to like, Hanato uh, Moicano by submission. Okay, bro, I'm not even going to hold that against you. Five years ago, you lost to Moicano, But what had he shown in the UFC? He beat Terrence McKinney. Well, low bar. All right, let's see what else you could do, right? At a minus 300 tag. So I was on Benoit Saint-Denis in that spot. And I thought it was a great spot. I was like, this is a, a time I want to... And I, I think Bonfim is extremely dangerous on the feet, right? He could really hurt people. He's a He's a guy that's willing to go out there and throw. But his ego got the best of him in that fight and he got into a firefight, and he couldn't take the damage that was coming back his way. He's not a bad grappler, but he looked like a bad grappler because he was already hurt, and he was finished, right? His ego, he's like, yeah, no, give me another one, and he took three more, and he's like, I can't take another one. (laughs) You know, that is the thing about Benoit Saint-Denis where I think the the dynamic of this matchup that I see is you look at Tiago Moises, and I love Tiago Moises, talking about uh, how he did against Alexander Hernandez. Everybody's telling me he can't win that fight, plus 200, cash that one, right? Tiago Moises went out there and schooled him just better striker on the feet than him. But that's Alexander Hernandez. Who's a guy who's like all power in the first round and kind of will lose decisions look at the Trinaldo fight. You know, he didn't deserve to win that one. He kind of got a little bit lucky on, on the scorecards there. He doesn't throw that much volume. He's not a guy that normally separates himself in that way. So I look at this and I say to myself, Benoit Saint Denis, he does a lot. He's going to come forward, try and take your head off. He's the bigger guy here. He's undefeated in the lightweight division. And Tiago Moises, how did he lose uh, to Joel Alvarez? Was it because Joel Alvarez is better than him? I, I I still, to this day, don't believe that. I Like, I bet Tiago Moises in that fight. But Joel Alvarez started hot and never gave him a chance to get into the fight, and he did this. And that was it. He covered up, and that was the fight. He shelled up and never got going. He was, uh, he was starting to bleed. He didn't like – I hated his reactions in that fight, all fight. And there's been a couple times where he just – I haven't liked how he starts reacting when he starts getting hit, and when he starts getting hurt. And I feel like Benoit Saint-Denis, with the French people yelling, is going to come out here and try and put a bungalow through his head. And I do think that Tiago Moises can win this fight by sub. He's an elite submission grappler. But when you're getting 10-8-ed in the first round by Michael Johnson and you need to meme pull a, a guard pull, um, you know, a straight ankle lock that would never work on somebody that isn't Michael Johnson, I'm like, that's a concern for me. You know, and I, I do think of myself as a person that uh, will will be back on the Tiago Moises train again soon. He's training with the right guys. He's still only 28 years of age, but I don't think they sent him here uh, to beat the French soldier. I think they sent him here to get killed. Uh, so I, I believe that Benoit Saint-Denis is going to win this fight, and I think he's going to do it by knockout.
0: Um. Yeah, and, and a massive market or overcorrection to be plus two sixty against uh, Bonfim, who was one and zero in the UFC, and now you're a favorite. And who was a
1: dog to McKinney? He and, was plus one twenty against McKinney.
0: And now you're a favorite to a fringe top fifteen guy who's been in there with literally everybody. Um, listen, the last two episodes of Half the Battle, I bet um Cody Durden thirty five squats on the Blackshear versus Bautista fight. The next episode, I bet um, narco cop like a uh, memorabilia exchange on um, the Armfield versus Kazama fight. Would you be interested in some kind of bet, a shoey bet, or something else?
1: Absolutely, brother. Whatever you want to do, uh, I, I'd put it on. Yo, if I have to go to to war in a bet of any kind, give me my guy Benoit Saint Denis. I know he's gonna fight like a soldier, so for sure. <laughs> what do you want to do? Uh, we could we could do a shoey if you want. We can do uh, some kind of physical challenge. I don't I don't uh I don't care, man. I'm happy to do either. Uh all
0: right, so, I got a, shoes. So a shoey then.
1: Cheers to of Asa.
0: Air handshake. All right, all right. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Volkan Uzdemir. He's 18 and 7 taking on Bogdan Guskov, who's 14 and 2. Currently, they got it. Volkan Uzdemir, minus 180. The comeback on Bogdan Guskov is plus 155. So, look, Volkan's welcoming this guy to the UFC. Initially, Volkan was supposed to fight Mirzakhanov, which I thought was a really bad matchup for him. I thought Mirzakhanov is on the up. And, And Volkan, man, when he first came into the UFC and he was getting all those big knockouts, he was riding high on confidence. He's fought the who's who. I feel like he hasn't quite looked the same his last few fights, but granted he's been fighting the best guys on the planet. I mean, Nikita Krulov, top five guy, Mag- Magomed Ankali, former title challenger, Yuri Prohaska, former champion, Rakic, I mean, you know, uh, he's been fighting the who's who, the Paul Craig fight. Look, Paul Craig can beat the best guys and lose to the worst guys. It's kind of interesting how that works. Like someone in my uh, at my gym was telling me like paul craig can beat anyone and lose to anyone <laughs> you know it's one of those things but uh, i don't think volcans looked as good but man the level of experience difference is just massive here and then bogdan guskov um you know listen man i haven't been that impressed he is kind of awkward he does have 12 wins by knockout on his record, so you know these are big boys. You can still sling them, and Volkan's been put down before, so you know there is a chance there. But I've also seen this guy get slept badly and early in fights, and like I said, he's got a very awkward style. His hands are kind of low a little bit, not the fastest, but you know they still are big boys and. He does have a puncher's chance but i think that's about the extent of it and then you factor in the experience difference and i mean that goes to vulcan all day um so even if Volcan's kind of a diminished version of what he once was um i still think he's got enough to win this fight so i'm gonna pick him for that reason Mm
1: Yeah, and I'm going to hope that he's uh, fading out here just because when you look at Vulcan Ozdemir, I feel like I've seen very clear regression. Right. And like, honestly, I think if Paul Craig had a different approach to that fight, he could have knocked out Vulcan Ozdemir. But instead, he's like grabbing a hold of him and guard pulling and gassed himself completely. When he was striking in that fight, he was having some success. And then he just did everything else and like pulled himself underneath in full guard to get landed on with ground and pound and lose the round. Like, just some Paul Craig things. Hashtag just Paul Craig things, but when you look at how Paul Craig has, uh, you know, changed his career, he moved down to 185. Is this guy Bogdan ever moving down to 185? No, <laughs> like he just seems to me like a bigger guy. He looks like Anthony Smith, right? He's Uzbek Anthony Smith. Okay, if you guys need a comparison, that's who he is. Uh, he looks kind of like him, and I think that when I, I'm looking at this guy on paper, he's got a lot of power. He's exactly what the UFC looks for, which is guys that could finish for 12 and 12. Right, he's just a just a guy. Uh, I believe he's coming in uh, with the dominance MMA brand behind him, but he's training with the Walker guys as well, uh, Johnny Walker and crew. I don't know how he like got in contact with them, but he is from Uzbekistan. He's training at ATT Moscow, so he's in Russia. He's getting work with good fighters, and he seems like a guy who has the physique. I've seen a few fights where uh, in the second round he had gotten dropped badly and then out grappled the guy while he was rocked and submitted him from his back. So I do think that he has some multi like well-rounded skills. His chin is his biggest concern though, right? Against a guy like Vulcan, he does have some power, but here's the thing, man. Vulcan isn't finishing anybody anymore. He, I think the last person he finished was a Latifi Latifi um, in 2019. And that might've been his last real win in the UFC as well. I don't think he beat Alexander Rackage uh, if you ask me. So like, I, I just think that, He's got some really skeptical results in his last couple ones. His uh, strikes haven't been there. He's not outlanding people. I think he's outlanded two of his last uh, five opponents. So it's just, he, he's not really doing the job anymore. Plus, his takedown defense is getting a little bit worse. I mean, Paul Craig can't take you down. He's at 185. Nikita Krilov's taking him down all over the place. I just feel like this is a fight where I don't know how much Volkan Osamir still wants to be in the UFC. Uh, he kind of peaked out early, right? He got that fast run. And I feel like he's one of those guys who just, Fizzled at the top. You know, he hasn't really shown it since. He's getting submitted by the Anthony's, the real Anthony Smith submitted him back in the day. I know he's more talented, but just you look at these kind of things, and I feel like Vulcan Ozdemir has always been a guy that kind of overperformed expectations. Got a couple quick knockouts all in the first round. And he hasn't really produced much of that since Elir Latifi pulled out of that fight. He had a back problem, then rescheduled it like a month later. What was gonna happen? He got finished there. But since then, against guys that are still around and not retired or uh you know moved on with their life he's losing so i just don't i don't know what to expect from him and i'm not laying minus 190 with volkanovsamir today
0: give us a pick
1: i'm taking bogdan
0: okay okay nice so opposite sides here but not much conviction i mean i feel like the the best volkan we've seen lately was like the first 2 minutes against krilov and then after that he just resorted back to that kind of just doesn't have that same like
1: gusto and just drive that he once had. And who could blame him after that Yuri fight? You know, like that Yuri that... knockout will change your life, dude. That why did Yuri get a, a title fight after uh two fights? And you because he literally changed Vulcan's life with that. Uh, I think it was a left hand, but it was like move, weird duck, and then he just put a punch through him. Uh, and Vulcan's been hurt a couple times like that so. Uh, that, that for me, is the other big fear against this big, awkward guy. I feel like they could both just swing and bang, and the younger guy by three years, who's a little bit fresher, hasn't been in those wars, might not fall.
0: Yeah, well, Volkan I mean,
1: said his entire family's flying out to watch him. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Volkan's gone through some stuff outside, you know, the cage too, behind the scenes, you know, I think he denied a visa that's why all his fights have to be overseas i don't know if there's some legal thing that went down back in the day did he like fuck some dude up at a club or something i don't want, i don't want to spread any rumors or anything like that but is that what happened i don't i don't even he, know he
1: definitely beat the case he definitely beat the case but vulcan right. our guy vulcan was definitely uh had some run-ins with the law
0: yeah but they won't let him back into the stage which sucks because he was training down at kill Cliff, or back when they were called sanford maybe even the black zillions back when they were called that right so uh I I still think Volkan, you know, just based on the experience should have enough, but like you said, he's definitely not trending upward. You know, it's just would this Bogdan guy even be in the UFC had Merzakanov, you know, not pulled out? Like were they did they even have their eyes on this guy or was it just man, we need some guy that can get a visa, that can make it to this fight. Well, he's 14 and 2 even though he's beat all cans, he's still 14 and 2 and Maybe that's the only guy we can call to take this fight, but still, I do think you bring up valid points and a little tinfoil hat shit. The last time Volkan was minus one hundred and fifty against a newcomer, he got knocked out. Now, granted, that newcomer was Yuri Prohaska, who ended up becoming a UFC world champion. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, and this is this guy is nowhere near the talent level of that. Like Yuri was beating like real guys outside the UFC, you know. Um, so yeah, it's just a little sketchy, but I, I'm still picking.
1: I up will up just camp. mention though. Yuri got absolutely flatlined by Molo wall, who is a legit fighter. That the first time. Yes. yeah, And then he rematched him, of course, but that guy who flatlined him, he was a real fighter. I know he's not like a, a household name, but he's like a, a ACB guy who mostly wins fights and like has a couple losses to guys you've heard of. I think he knocked out Ramzan on like the guy is quality. So I, I think that um he definitely has a questionable chin he's been hurt in more than one fight but i do think that that's also light heavyweight you know it's like eventually if you're swinging and and uh you know putting yourself out there light heavyweight you're getting knocked out it's just the way that this division works unless your name is john jones so sorry
0: were you talking about king mo uh yes you know you know king mo beat Musasi back in the day right
1: Yeah, dude, King Bo's got a lot of great wins, but the way he flatlined Yuri, I think people would think, oh, Yuri doesn't have a chin, you know, he can't take a shot, then you look at the Glover Teixeira fight, where he's literally getting Pez dispensered, knocked out, and still wins, against Dominic Reyes, he got knocked out, and still wins, it's like, yeah, Yuri can can take a shot.
0: For sure, All right, well, we got opposite picks on this one, so let's see, I'm not passionate enough to offer you a bet on this one, like the last fight, but this... You know let's just see let's just see because i could realistically see it going either way but i'm still gonna go with vulcan here now next up in the featherweight division we got william gomi he's 12 and 2 taking on welcoming yanis gamori who's 12 and 1. currently they got it william gomi minus 220 the comeback on yanis gamori is plus 185 now i gotta tell you what man i am so pissed off right now and you know why liam because Yanni's gamori so this fight's at featherweight he was originally gonna fight a bantam weight against another newcomer named lawfren and man Yanni's gamori was like a plus 250 dog or something in that spot and I thought it was one of the best dog dog spots on the whole card, man, because Yannis Gamori is a really good kickboxer, man. I mean, this guy won the K-1, trains with good people. You know, he's training with Ziam and that whole crew. And I like his game. Everything's developed. He's really well-rounded, good elbows, good kicks, nasty jab, um, fight IQ, get-up game, takedowns. Like, I like everything about Yannis Gamori. I think he's a great prospect. It's just my issue is that, you know, you're. I know he's fought at featherweight before, but like, bro, you're a bantamweight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you're not. You're not just, you know, fighting any featherweight. You're fighting a featherweight who, in his last fight, missed weight. So you're, you're fighting a lightweight. You're fighting one of the bigger feather. You're fighting a dude that's. You were supposed to fight this Lafran dude who's five foot six allegedly. Between you and me, he's five four, and now you're fighting William Gomez, who's six feet tall and can barely make. 145 pounds now my issues with gomi is i think that the volume is on the lower side but man he is so goddamn athletic his left kick is nasty his left straight is nasty his footwork is on point he switches stances nicely and he's young he's starting to uh you know, feel a bit more comfortable in there. Only 26 years old. So you're gonna be seeing these big leaps every single time he fights. And he's also got a lot of toughness. In both of his UFC fights, he almost got submitted in the third round against Yarno Ahrens with that triangle choke. And I love the defense, how he sat back, he stayed calm, got out of that. And then against um Francis Marshall, you know, escaped a bad back take and then escaped um Uh, arm triangle choke as well, both in the third round. Like he almost got some in the third round, two fights in a row. But like he said, he was willing to die in there. Like, like, and man, he showed the proper defense, showed the heart. So this guy's not a front runner. I just don't like that the volumes on the lower side. And honestly, here's the interesting thing. Skill for skill. I think that Yannis Gamori might actually be the better fighter. It's just, man, that late switch up to not just move up a weight class, but to go from. You know, a midget to now you're fighting a dude that's probably that that is a former lightweight. That that size and physicality might be too much. But Yanni's Gomori is a guy you got to keep your eye out for, man. This guy is a real striker. Paid his dues on his regional scene, and I'm just so pissed off he's not fighting that Lafran guy because that plus 250 or whatever it was was a fucking gift. He was gonna stuff that dude's takedowns and absolutely light him up on the feet. But here, much different matchup. I gotta go with Gomis, man. Um, but, uh, keep your eye out for Yannis. Hopefully, you know, this goes Gomez's way and then we can get a really good line on Yannis when he drops back to Bantamweight.
1: Yeah, very possible. We see that often in the UFC guys that are talented, that go on win streaks, that, uh, have a lot of success in their natural division. It's really hard to win fights up a weight class in the UFC. Evan Elder got absolutely ran for his paper by Preston Parsons, right? Like j- just a few examples you could think of where guys that maybe aren't even the highest level from the division above. That you just see why we have weight classes, right? And why there's, um, you know, the difference in size and physicality. One thing to note here, it's 10 pounds, right? Uh, In the lighter weight classes, it is a bigger percentage of your total body weight. So it's something to consider here. But I do think that, you know, Gomez is not a guy that's normally uh, leveraging his physicality on offense in the grappling or something, right? More often than not, he's kind of Fading back away from people, you know. You watch the Francis Marshall fight. I feel like you gotta watch it on two times speed, or you'll be there all day just watching <laughs> the guy go like this, away from it. It's counterclockwise circling, and Marshall's just chasing him, No idea how to cut him off. So I think Gomes is a guy that he's done a really good job negating volume, right? Like not allowing anybody to do anything for most of the fight, and then he'll pick his shots. He's fast. He can come in from the outside find a couple of shots. I think he's landing like 36 strikes per fight or something, like just absurdly low numbers. Um, so I don't really know that I I trust him at this big chalk, you know? Again, to your point, he had a switch up too, right? Like I, there was just a reshuffling of like these prelims for whatever reason, there were some injuries, Almeida out of the fight, obviously. But you look at this for Gomes, he's kind of changing up his game plan last minute too. So he's got the size, right? But he, you're paying for the size. You're paying for the size. And the fact that he's got the two UFC wins, but to your point, I think he's got a talented opponent here that people don't know about, right? He's a little bit less of a well-known guy, but this is in France, guys. They're both French. Crowd's going to be split. So I don't. Th- I think if this goes to a close decision, this could be another fight where thirty strikes are landed between each of them. Who wins the fight? Uh, well, God, I don't know. Let's ask the judges. If that's the case, plus two thirty, I think could look a little wide here. So I'm I'm a contrarian at heart, right? I always look for the dog or pass situation if I can. And in this kind of spot, I do feel like you can make a case for the dog here Um, because Gomez he hasn't separated himself from his opponents. To your point, he almost got submitted in both of his UFC fights. It's like, is his ground game running away with it? Is he outstriking people by 50 strikes? No. So he just seems like a guy who's fighting with a pretty thin margin against a guy who's a little bit older, has got similar level of experience. They're both French in France. Recipe for a, a live underdog in my view.
0: I agree, but let me say this: You were talking about how it's a—it's not just a switch up for Gamori; it's also a switch up for for Gomi. But it's a lot more similar for Gomi. Gomi was supposed to fight another kickboxer in, in Lucas Almeida, who was going to bang with him. Whereas Yannis was getting ready for you know a five foot four wrestler with no movement whatsoever—you know a stationary target—and now on Tuesday of fight week, it's like, hey, now actually you're fighting a six foot tall featherweight who can barely make featherweight who's a kickboxer and is elusive and is way more athletic uh so the, the big switch up is more for Yanni's here than anything at least he doesn't have to cut that weight um but but again i agree i think Yanni's gamori is a very talented prospect i just kind of want to see him in his weight class it would not surprise me to see him win this fight just in the sole fact that like we said gomis does have low volume he did, you know, he's found himself in bad spots in the, in round three of both his UFC fights. But that physicality ha- has to count for something. This man's already made that walk before. Um, I'm just not interested. At, what, what are we talking now? Well, it's gone down a little bit. It's not, you know, minus 285 anymore. It's not it's more minus 220. But I, I, I'm going to just sit this one out most likely. But God, it really hurts my feelings that Giannis, I don't get that plus 250 against the law because dude. Cause man, I would have maybe laid three units on that spot, legit. But um, I'm excited to see how these guys look. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got two debutantes. We got Morgan Morgan Charrier. He's 18-9-1, taking on Manolo Zaccini, who's 11-3. It's France versus Italy. Currently, they got it Morgan Charrier, minus th- 333 um the comeback on manolo zacchini is plus 270. so this is interesting because morgan Charrier, very experienced guy most of his losses and i know this will be a big talking point for a lot of people are kind of close split decision type fights against good guys but with that being said if you're going to bring that up you also have to bring up That he's had close split decision fights to not so good guys where he's won. So, you know, it's a double edged sword, you know, because I know, oh, like what's wrong with those losses? They were all good guys. It's true, but he fights close with lower level guys as well. But let me tell you what, Morgan Charrier is a very athletic guy, nasty calf kicks, very experienced. And one thing I really like about him, Liam is his toughness there was this fight he had against this brazilian where the brazilian put him in a rear triangle choke and if y'all want to know how to do the rear triangle choke check out my technique of the week i dropped it a a few weeks back on the rear triangle choke so he got caught up in one of those man where you know damn well you know the triangle from the back you get caught in one of those i mean it's a fat chance you're surviving and when he was in that rear triangle choke brazilian dude was landing fucking elbows to the ear and you could see in morgan charia's eye he was like He's like, okay, when I get on top, I'm going to fuck you up in a way where you're going to regret all your life's choices. And as soon as he got out of that, he landed the most devastating and vicious ground and pound that I've seen in a long time to where Buddy didn't answer the bell. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? So Morgan's been there, man. Um, Very experienced, like I said, very explosive, very good athlete. It's just kind of, my my issue and a similar trend to some of these other French kickboxers is kind of more low output. We're going to talk about another guy, Taylor Lapalouse, coming up, where it's kind of like the same ordeal. And then on the other side with Manolo uh, Zaccini, look, man, I love I love Italy. Very beautiful place. I love Italian food. I love Italian culture. I love Italian women. I love Italian music, Italian style. You know, I love my custom fitted Dolce Gabbana suit. It's just Italian MMA hasn't quite developed to where I want it to yet. I love the Sopranos. I love all my movies, you know, all, all my Italian movies, Goodfellas, Casino, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you just want the MMA to catch up to how great other aspects of Italy truly are. And I'll, I'll give Manolo some credit, man. Like when he gets off on his combinations, Like, I've seen him walk dudes down and land some brutal finishing combos. So, like, when he lets it go, he can be pretty dangerous. And he's also not some spring chicken. He's an experienced guy as well. It's just the athleticism difference here is massive. And that's where I think it's going to kind of cost him. It's just when you're laying, you know, minus, what is it, 330 on Morgan Charrier, I'm just going to be kind of pissed. When it's this low output, kickboxing, tit for tat kind of fight, so I'm hoping for Morgan's sake that you know he can kind of, you know, you know, just kind of what am I looking for? Kind of get himself in the lead a bit. Don't 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 go tit for tat for this guy. Kind of assert your dominance. Show him that you really are that more experienced, that more athletic, that more explosive, that more dangerous guy, that more seasoned guy. and and welcome this guy to the ufc accordingly but like i said manolo's been paying his dues for years and when he actually lets his stuff go it's pretty nice to watch it's just it's few and far between so for that reason i do got to go with morgan Charrier. i do think he's got more upside but at this price i don't really see where the
1: value is yeah i would tend to agree here you know and normally i like to make a case for the underdog but Italians in uh, France have been doing not so good uh, in the UFC, right? And I think that when you look at the state of Italian MMA overall, you're making a great and fair point, you know? I was laughing from the very start of that because I knew exactly where you were going. You know, Italian MMA is a little bit memeable at times, uh, but it's not to say it's not making improvements, coming along. It's just not there yet, right? And and we're here today, right? There's a reason we're not doing UFC Italy, we're doing UFC Paris because there's more guys that are probably ready for the big show that are certainly ready to take that step up and try. You look at a Morgan Charrier, and to your point, you know, a guy that can fight to these close decisions, but he's got an opponent in front of him that's a little bit more killer be killed, only gone to two decisions in his career. So I look at that and I say to myself, what is the UFC trying to do here? I feel like they're trying to get this guy, an opponent that will present himself, that will throw, and that will give uh, you know. Morgan opportunities to get off on big shots and look like a star. You know, there's a reason why a guy that you've never heard of is a minus 350, I feel like, in a UFC fight. It's because they're trying to set him up to win, and the odds makers are reflecting that as well. So for me, I feel like this is one of the times when I'm not going to be making the case for the dog. I'm leaning towards the favorite here as well. Uh, I think French MMA is going to have a little bit of an evening, and uh, I think that this guy is part of it. So give me Morgan Chatier, and I think he does it inside the distance.
0: And just to give a quick shout-out to an Italian fighter, shout-out Carlo Pedersali for cashing that max bet uh, for me against Brad Scott, a U.K. fighter back in the day, or as we like to refer to in Brazil, Liam, Brad Scotch. um, Carlo Pedersali went out there and cashed that max bet for me, so I'll always be grateful. But again, it didn't pan out long-term. and So hopefully Manolo can be the guy to wave the torch for the new wave of uh, Italian fighters because they desperately need someone to be that guy. Is he that guy? We'll we'll find out Saturday afternoon in Paris. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Taylor Lapilus. Is it Lapilus or Lapilu? He's 18-3, and three, taking on Colin Lafrin, who's 8-0, and repping Ireland. I thought, why did I think he was a scouser? The flag on topology says Ireland, but for some reason, I thought he was a scouser. Um, and currently, they got it and taylor lapilu lapilus minus 147 the comeback on kowlin Lafrin, uh Loughran. Loughran is plus 127. so man like i told you already i'm gonna repeat myself i am so fucking pissed off that that Lafrin versus um gamori fight was canceled because Colin Lafrin was the biggest favorite on the card uh, uh, against gamori and i thought gamori was gonna style on him i thought that it was an absolute Disgusting number to get plus 230 to plus 250, whatever it was. That was an absolute dog bet for me. But now, so the difference that we were talking about were how, you know, William Gomez and Yanis Gamori had these switch up in opponents was that, you know, Yanis Gamori, he's no longer fighting, you know, the, this little midget wrestler with no movement whatsoever, a stationary target. Now he's fighting a six foot tall, um you know, kickboxer. Whereas calvin Lafran, he's still fighting a French kickboxer. So at least, from his standpoint he didn't have to change too much maybe a little bit you know i know the stances are different and stuff like that and taylor lapolis he's been in the ufc before he had a good stint in the ufc back in the day man i mean like his last fight in the ufc he won so it wasn't even a matter of like getting cut because he went on some skid it was just a matter of they just didn't resign him or whatever um and he's always been a dynamic kickboxer kind of on the lower volume side um and sometimes you expect more from him because he is that talented he is that dynamic and when he lets his stuff go i mean bodies do hit the floor it's just sometimes he lets guys back into fights a bit sometimes he plays with his food a little bit and in the past um his takedown defense and get up game were what plagued them you know you watch like that eric goito perez fight which is you know his most recent loss in the ufc that's what happened and then you go back to some of his fights since the ufc and like there were some fights that were like way closer than they should have been like he's clearly better than these guys on a technical level on a skill level on an athleticism level on experience level but it but because of the low output. Um, he's kind of letting these guys fight closer with him than they necessarily should. So here against Colin Laughlin, look, Laughlin's a tough dude, man. He is, but he's a, he's a you know, he's listed at 5'6". I think he's 5'4". He stands stationary. Um, he doesn't move. You're 40
1: head. foot four at least, if yeah. you remember that clip from Conor McGregor.
0: How could I forget? Stand up, we can barely see you. You know, um, it, it, it's just... <sighs> So Loughran's going to be there to be hit, but I got to give Loughran a a lot of credit. He's a very confident guy, just like most of these cage warriors guys are maybe sometimes to a fault. Right. Um, And if he can get on top of Lapalus for extended periods of time, he is heavy on top and he is good at taking the back. And those are some areas of the game that have given Lapalus issues in the past. But besides that, I think Lapalus is going to light this man up standing and it's just man don't let this guy back into the fight like when you have him hurt go for that kill and i know that law you know got you know a knockout in his last fight so people think that his boxing is on point i don't think his boxing is on point i think he fought a very soft opponent and speaking of soft opponents i believe someone correct me if i'm wrong uh the combined records of of the of opponents is like 40 and 79 something amongst those lines so he's been fighting very soft competition And you see him on social media talking about one of the best welterweights on planet Earth and stuff. It's like, like kid. But it's funny because I heard his interview. He actually seems like a smart guy. Like, he he fights like a complete idiot, but he's actually a smart guy when you hear him talk. It reminds me of, like, Steven Ocho Peterson where he's like a walking punching bag. But then you hear him talk and he's actually, like, well-spoken. It, like, makes no sense whatsoever. And then, like, the dumb dudes are, like, the best fighters. It's crazy how that works, Liam. But, But back to this. I think that Lofren winning this fight is predicated on him getting on top of Lapalus, taking the back of Lapalus for extended periods of time or potentially, you know, getting a rear naked choke finish or something like that because on the feet, you know, as long as Lapalus just isn't so low volume where he's making it closer than it should be, I think Lapalus picks this guy apart. And, um, yeah, I, I, li- I like him in this spot.
1: Yeah, and training out of the MMA factory in Paris, France. Uh, so I'm sure that they're going to be well represented on the card. I'm sure they're going to have a lot of uh, fans in the building, family, all that kind of stuff. So something to keep in the back of our minds there. And Taylor Lapolis, he is a guy with UFC experience. He's a guy that put together a pretty solid enough run. You look at the names of the fighters that he was fighting, You know, maybe none of them stand out as like, oh, these were you know the guys of the generation or something. But that's probably why he got cut too. He had some forgettable wins. They weren't that exciting. The UFC is like, ah, whatever. And they just didn't re-sign him, you know? When you look at this, it, there's a time and a place for everything under the sun. They're back in France. They need French guys. They want guys that, you know, kind of fit the bill. And you look, there's been times when, you know, he could probably step on the gas more, to your point. But he does have that sidekick finish over Nate Maness. You can see, he kind of just takes his time, looks for the shots. And when they materialize, he can put people out. But he's not going to rush it. He's not going to force it. Um to your point, I do think Loughran, yeah, I'm Irish, right? I'm biased as shit. So I'll say that off the top. But when I talk about a guy like Loughran, I saw the same thing you did where he's too hittable for me, uh, in terms of just like overall in MMA, if he doesn't improve that, it's not going We're it's just a non-starter, but he is a guy that does have an ability to mix up his game and attempt different things. And so I was surprised after watching his, you know, his most recent fight that he wasn't just a, a boxer, right? Like, I was like, oh god, this guy's gonna be, you know, a not very good boxer in the UFC. But then I watched back his other fights, and he's going power half from the back, rolling these guys over, getting the back, punching them up from there, doing good damage with the ground and pound, getting finishes from the mount as well. And I was like, man, this guy has an idea of like if if the opponent is just super hittable and wants to swing with me, I'll go with them. But if I can, I'm taking him to the ground. And even when he was getting hit with hard elbows and some things that would dissuade, you know, lesser fighters. He was taking them and keep going. Like he's getting hit with just nine elbows to the side of the head. And my man's like, double leg, I'm finishing it anyway. And once he takes people down, to your point before, you know, about, uh, I think it was Shari, like when he got his chance, he took it and went to town. That's what he does, I feel like. You know, he'll take some shots, but when he gets his opportunity, he's going to give it back to you in spades. And so Laplace has never been finished. He's had over 20 professional fights. He's not that old. He's still like less than uh, 32 years of age. He's a guy that could definitely put it together, have a little run in the UFC, put together some fights and some wins. But I do think the UFC is looking long-term at a guy like Lawford and saying, hey, he's young, he's scrappy, wants to be in there, to your point, smart enough guy, and he's not the same Irish demographic as a lot of the other guys. You had said you thought he was a scouser. He's from the Irish countryside, right? He's not from Dublin. So he's not going to have that city slickster Conor McGregor type vibe to him. He's a little bit different. And uh, I think that he represents a different kind of cultural contingency. And I'll tell you what, I would not be surprised if the Irish travel in spades uh, for this fight. So maybe unlike, uh, you know, our guy, our girl, excuse me, Shauna Bannon, I feel like, uh, you know, this is somebody that they actually might have some, some future plans for. So he's got to, you know, fulfill it on his end, but I do think I want to study Lapolis and his grappling. That's the one thing I didn't see enough of in some of his recent fights to have a strong opinion, I want to see what his grappling looks like in this day and age, because I think Loughran, if he could take it there, that's where he has the biggest uh, advantage.
0: So the reason I thought he was a scouser is because he trains with scousers. He trains that team cow with with Darren till Aspinall um, all those other guys. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's probably the reason why. Anyways, next up in the welterweight division, we got Anj Lusa. He's nine and three taking on Reese McKee, who's 13 and four. Is this the first time we've had two uh, guys from Switzerland on a card? You know, Anj Lusa and Volkan Uzdemir, unless they fought on a card before. And currently they got it Anj Lusa minus 164. And the former Cage Warriors welterweight champion, Reese McKee, is plus 144. So shout out to Anj Lusa coming through for me that last fight against AJ Fletcher. Boy, was it a roller coaster ride that fight. You know, fight starts off. I thought AJ Fletcher was looking pretty damn good and one thing about Lusa that really improved from that fight compared to his other ones is the volume picked up tremendously now granted in the past he was in there with you know a guy like Munir Lazez who's like what a six foot two long kickboxer whereas AJ Fletcher has the shortest reach in the welterweight division like a 67 inch reach and I'm not even exaggerating on that um, so, you know, when he was the taller man, he was able to get off on more volume, but it was a big step in the right direction. But granted back to my point. So the the fight starts off and man, it was, one it was a roller coaster. You know, the kind of first few exchanges are going to Fletcher and then, you know, angelusa starts to find his range a bit, starts to really pick apart AJ Fletcher. And then in the second round, Fletcher catches him with something, has him wobbling all over the place. And, you know, some lesser reps would have stopped that fight. Thank God they didn't for my ticket. But, man, Anjelusa overcame that adversity. And he gets on top of Fletcher at times. And kind of, you know, Fletcher learned some very valuable lessons that night about pacing himself, about, you know, what happens in deep waters. And I think both guys swam in deep waters. Both guys showed extreme toughness. And it was a very you know important fight for both of them going forward and lusa finally put up the kind of numbers that we like to see 129 significant strikes officially you know sometimes these counters are off but the fact that he got over the 100 mark for me in a three-round fight that that was the step in the right direction that i need to see um and then also you remember his jack Madalena fight where he you know had a deep arm triangle choke against them at one point in that fight and you know, the guys always fought tough. He trains with the right people at Kill Cliff. It was just a matter of, you know, getting fights kind of on his level. And the same thing can be said for Reese McKee. Came into the UFC, and it's not that he wasn't ready at the time. It's just that, you know, when you fight Hamza in your debut, you know, <laughs> what do you expect to happen? And this next fight against Morano, look, Morano is just simply a little bit too experienced and seasoned for him at the time but Reese still put up good numbers um, in terms of output, but not in terms of defensive wise. And that's the big issue with Reese McKee. He's got what we like to refer to as that tall man's defense. I mean, he's a big boy. So Reese McKee, he is officially six foot two. He's got the 78 inch reach. So he's going to obviously have the height and reach advantage in the spot. And he's one of these guys, like one of these scarecrow guys where like, you know, he's going to, like, it doesn't look pretty when he gets hit, just like most tall guys. And he's not the best at stuffing takedowns, not the best at getting up to his feet. But the issue is, like, if you gas out against a guy like Reese McKee and you haven't put him away yet or severely compromised him, he's still going to be there. And that's what kind of worries me here, because there were moments in that fight against... uh Fletcher where Angelusa kind of had to find his second win or he kind of started to slow down at times and that's where a guy like Reese McKee can really pick up the pace but I do think that Angelusa I mean in the early going and just throughout the fight I think Angelusa is going to be landing big power shots could potentially mix in a takedown or two and both guys are going to get hit make no, make no mistake about it so it's tough because it's like reese mckee did what needs to be done to get back into the ufc you know he won a belt in another promotion i do think that cage warriors has been extremely overrated in the last few years now i'm not discrediting their history of course they've produced tons of amazing ufc fighters throughout the years i just think they're kind of the latest crop of talent hasn't quite been up to par compared to the past ones but Reese McKee, um, listen, man, this is your shot. You know, you're finally getting a guy who is around your, your level, right? This isn't Hamzat, who's a potential future champion or title challenger. This is not Murano, who's already been there and done that. This is Lusa, who's 1-1 and in the UFC. You're 0-2 in the UFC. This is a well-matched fight. So I do think Ant Lusa is going to be getting off on the power shots, potentially mixing some takedowns. I'm just worried about... If Reese McKee is still there and Lusa shows any sign that he's starting to slow down, Reese can absolutely take over this fight. So my pick is Lusa, but I'm I'm starting to think it might be a dog or pass situation. I'm not sure. Do you have more conviction uh, on what you think is going to happen here?
1: Well, yeah, I think I could be more objective here because this guy's from Northern Ireland. So, you know, now I just look at it fair split. I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm just i have totally kidding, guys. But in any case, right, I, I feel like you look at a guy like Reese McKee. He's not a bad fighter. He doesn't blow me away. You know, he's just a guy who seems like he would be on the cage warrior scene. You know, he just seems like a regional title level guy. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know that he has the athletic upside to to change that radically, you know, by going out and getting a couple more wins. Like, I just don't know that he could change the fact that he's got a long giraffe neck, right? And he kind of just doesn't have that much stability to it. So he could get knocked out. He's been submitted several times in the amateurs. So his ground game is not going to blow you away either. Kamzat Chemaev, all right, we give him a pass there. Alex Morono, he's a guy that's lost to debutants. Chaos Williams put him in the absolute box. Like, you know, that's a fight that you can win or or not, right? And Morono, to your point, too much experience, too savvy. He's a smart fighter as well, awkward, not an easy guy to get a beat on. But then you look at a guy like Angelusa, and he's probably just a little bit more meat and potatoes, a little bit more average as a fighter, not going to blow you away in any category, but he's more durable. He's just a little bit more, you know, stoic out there as well. I bet him against uh, Jack Della Maddalena. I was going ham when he had that arm triangle locked up. I thought we were going pay dirt, right? But Anjelusa wasn't able to seal the deal there. We've learned about Jack Della. He's a tough guy. Basil Hafez, he's a good grappler. Got on top. of I said Baso Hafez will win fights in the UFC, mark my words. He went out there and gave him an honest run. But Jack showed he's tough. He's not just going to give it up if you get to a good position, if you get to a takedown, anything like that. So I think Angelusa all right, tough fight out there. AJ Fletcher, I thought he was worse than he ended up being, right? Because he's got the tiny arms and everything like that. I had bet him coming in. He he underperformed, I thought, in the Semmelsberger fight. So I bet Anjelusa. But then his last time out, didn't he show a great performance? I can't even remember who it was against. But I just feel like AJ Fletcher went out there and asserted himself. Themba. He's a guy that – Themba. Oh, unfortunately too because I bet Themba. And then I bet my boy Themba again. Themba, great story, all that you guys know. But Anjelusa. What he brings to the table for me is the fact that he can bring the fight to multiple rounds, right? To your point, landed a lot of strikes in his last fight, but he can mix it up and go for takedowns. And I don't think Reese McKee is like a lock to stop them. So I just think Angelusa more pass to win the fight. Um, I think he's going to get it done. So not not bullish on a uh, method of victory here, but I would say probably knockout or a uh, decision. I do think Anjelusa is kind of due for a knockout. He lands a bunch of punches. He looks like a guy who hits hard and he had a bunch of knockouts before he came to the UFC had struggled to, you know, break through with that finish. I think maybe he gets that this weekend.
0: Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got the debut of Nora Cornole. How how do you, some people are saying Cornole. I don't think that's how you pronounce her name, but I don't know if Cornole is right either. But either way, y'all know who I'm talking about. Nora Cornole, she's six and one, repping France, taking on Jocelyn Edwards, who's 13 and four, repping Panama. Might be the only Panamanian fighter on the roster. Correct me if I'm wrong. And currently they got it. It's a pick 'em. It just depends where you look. In some spots, it's a pick 'em with a slight lean on Nora. Some spots, it's a pick 'em with a slight lean on Jocelyn. So it just depends where you look. But bottom line, um, the markets concluded that this could potentially be a 50 50 fight. And I got to give Nora a lot of credit, man. I mean, like, she makes her UFC debut against uh, Jacqueline Kalvakanch, who's on this card. We're going to talk about her soon. And they had a a three-round scrap, man. I mean, like, Jacqueline Kalvakanch was a little bit too physical for her, but Nora rocked her with a spinning uh, back fist. She even took her down at times. And then she's been fighting super soft competition since then, but she's been treating them like super soft competition. And the thing about jocelyn is we know where the biggest weakness in our game is it's her takedown defense um but granted nora is not someone that aggressively pursues the takedown she'll get them from time to time don't get me wrong and she is opportunistic if she's able to take your back now i'm not sure if that was just the level of competition she was fighting or if that's just an indication of what her game's truly about. But what I do know is Nora's gonna go for it. So I respect her and I do think she deserves this opportunity. And she has treated the lower level competition accordingly. Now, with Jocelyn, I-, I think that Jocelyn's a work in progress, man. But there's been some things that I like. I like the size. I know she misses weight every fight, but whatever. She wins those fights. She's five foot eight with a 70 inch reach. She's got a longer reach than Max Holloway and she's a woman's bantamweight, right? She's only 27 years old. So she's just entering her prime and she's put up the kind of numbers that we like liam she's gone out there landed 164 significant strikes officially in a ufc fight before she landed 100 in a different fight um you know her losses you know carl hosa went the distance with her you know and carl hosa who's known for being an output machine herself resorted to takedowns in that fight which is a smart thing to do the jessica rose clark fight i know now that hasn't aged well but that was before jessica had all those surgeries and was clearly on her way out um and let me say this jocelyn edwards has outstruck every single opponent she's fought inside the octagon minus uh carol hossa so that that's something to take note of so i actually think that nora is going to give jocelyn the fight she wants she's going to give her that stand up fight she wants and if nora you know comes out here and she's way better than she looked on tape then maybe she can rise to the occasion because even though jocelyn is the more experienced fighter here I would still consider Jocelyn to kind of be an entry level UFC fight, right? Um but that being said, she's on a three fight win streak. She's shown me numbers that I like standing, and Nora doesn't aggressively pursue the takedown. Now she might hear she might do that here because like i'm I'm sure her and her team watch tape. I'm sure they know where the weakness is in Jocelyn's game. But I think if Jocelyn, you know, can, just make slight improvements, which, let you know, granted, she hasn't been submitted yet in the UFC or anything like that. It's just she'll get held down from time to time. But if she can just improve that part of her game and just keep going on that upper trajectory, I think she can just outpoint Nora in this spot, kind of welcome her to the UFC a little bit, get this decision. Um, I want to look into it a little bit more before I consider a bet on Jocelyn because I get the 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 argument and the logic here that – she is the much more experienced and proven person here. But like I said, I do consider her to be an entry level UFC fight, uh, fighter. So I don't want to overblow, you know, her, her status, but I'm going to look into it a little bit more, but my official pick is Jocelyn Edwards to win this fight.
1: Yeah. I also am leading the same way here. One thing I look at, I always try and try and identify things that are replicable over time, things I could look at and give myself an idea before I break down the specific fighters, just where should I be looking? Oki on on uh, contender series last night is a perfect example, right? He had the height, he had the reach, he's the younger fighter. But when you start digging into the resumes, you're like, Oh, I don't know. He hasn't fought that many guys and this, but at the end of the day, it's a fight in a cage, right? And so he went out there, he was more athletic. He was a little bit bigger. He brought the pressure from the early going. He got to him, right? It's a fight. You could still hurt anybody. It doesn't matter. Glory kickboxing can't fight for you. Right. It's at the end of the day, just two people swinging leather at each other. So when you look at this kind of fight, that's where I don't want to get ahead of myself to your point on Jocelyn Edwards, but she's the younger fighter. She has more experience. It's against higher level girls. She's been fighting for longer. So like, yeah, she, she checks a lot of the boxes here that you'd want to see for a favorite UFC experience, bigger girl, you know, like, like, where is she not checking the box? Like, she throws way more volume. The other girl probably going to be out there, you know, with the crowd behind her. So that's that's the support for her. But again, you're talking about a pick'em type fight. I believe this woman made her professional debut in twenty twenty one. Let me just double check that. I don't want to speak out of turn. Yeah. Uh, July of twenty twenty one was the first professional fight for Nora Cornel. Uh So maybe she goes and gets wins in the UFC, but she's thirty three making a debut and debuted as a professional in twenty twenty one that just doesn't strike me as a girl who's ready for this level. It might be more, we need more French fighters and you know, bouts are falling out and stuff to your point. She deserves an opportunity, tough enough girl, but it just seems like she might be in over her head here. And even girls that have looked good on tape. Did you guys see the girl she's fighting? I mean, she kicked one girl with like a low line sidekick and the girl was like, nope. like just called it <laughs> off right, right there. I was like, okay. um, You know, we we've seen Modestus get his knee kicked all the way out before he stopped fighting. You know, I'm like, there's just levels to it a little bit. And I felt like she didn't see much resistance in her wins, frankly.
0: I mean, you're hundred percent correct. The level of competition is laughably soft, but it's not her fault that she absolutely destroyed them accordingly. You know, it's not like she was going to split decisions with them or anything like that. She, she handled got them like that
1: him. side headlock to Sana Mandar. And I was like, okay, like the, the back take was literally free. Like Sana Mandar did nothing to prevent the back take, but I was like, if this was a competent person they might just be on top and side control too so that was, act, that, that act. was for me a concern
0: <laughs> yeah no I, I i did watch that fight as well um yeah but then i was also like man but if she takes jocelyn's back then what but yeah but the fact but the way it got there was like um yeah what's gonna happen when a ufc uh lady judo throws you like that now next up in the bantamweight division we got farid basharat he's 10 and 0 Welcoming Clay Jason Rodriguez, who's eight and two, to the bantamweight division. I say he's welcoming him, but this dude misses weight at flyweight, so technically he's been a bantamweight all along. And currently, they got it. Farid Basharat minus three fifty-five. The comeback on Clay Jason Rodriguez is plus two ninety. So I gave I, I bet uh, Farid and gave out the bet on Farid at minus two forty-five, like a week ago. So I've already beat that line by over a dollar. So I feel like I've done my job there. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you how I even decided to bet Farid here. So a week or two ago, Damon Blackshear fought against Mario Bautista, right? And a week prior to that, Damon Blackshear fought against Jose Johnson. So Damon Bmf Blackshear, dude, tip your fucking. You know, I don't got a cap, but you got a cap. Tip your cap to Damon Blackshear. That is a bad boy right there, like, dude. Much respect, Blackshear. Like you got the third ever twister in UFC history, and then you put up a hell of a fight against Bautista, who's no slouch. A lot of people thought you won that fight. I just thought it was a great fight. I don't care about planting my flag on who won. I just rather plant my flag on what a fucking badass fight that was. So when I'm watching the DeMond Blackshear tape, right, to get ready for the Bautista fight, I pull up this fight between him and Fareed Basharat. And dude, I was blown away by Basharat. Like, I'm supposed to be studying Blackshear in that fight, right? And I'm and I'm like seeing the things that Basharad's doing, and I'm like, oh my god, like this guy might be special, man. Because think about this: like, the guy can put up the numbers that we like, you know, on, on Contender Series. He outstruck a guy on significance, 116 to 27, and then he also got three takedowns along the way. But then he gets in there with Damon, who's a real legit test and he passed it with flying colors i love the footwork from farid bashrat he can switch stances he's got a nice jab he fights intelligent you hear him talk the guy's wise beyond his years him and his brother they got that intensity about them they're non-stop workers they remind me of like Bilal muhammad with their intelligence man and they can fight anywhere the fight goes and they're not just good hammers. They're, they can be good nails, too. You remember the twister that Blackshear hit on Jose Johnson? Blackshear tried that same twister on, uh, on uh, Farid. didn't work. End of the third round, he tried a nasty triangle armbar on him, and Farid didn't even panic. And Farid was in there with an arm injury in that fight. Leg. So not only does Farid have the skills, the volume, the output, everywhere the fight goes, but he's also got the heart. He's got the mind. I like literally everything about this guy, and I think both Basharat brothers are future-ranked guys, 100%. And as far as Clay and Rodriguez, look, he's explosive. He's dynamic, big spin kicks. I've seen calf slicers. I've seen... A lot of nasty stuff he also did a camp switch for this fight um he used to be at team noguera shout out to the noguera brothers legends of the sport and now he's at uh shoot the box diego lima you know with charles Oliveira, which is a great camp um it, just the reason that i'm going with farid here not only did i beat the Lamba over a dollar but i think the pace difference is gonna be massive here i think that Clay Jason, you know, he likes to, you know, kind of have his space where not much is going on, but then he's going to explode with a big spin, with a big flying knee, with a big combo, but he need, but to do those explosive moves, you have to recharge the batteries and there is no time to rest against Farid. He's going to be popping that jab in your face. He's going to be pushing you back. And I saw regional guys, bums taking down Clay Jason Rodriguez. When you saw Clay Jason Rodriguez in his contender series fight, bro. I know how we like to joke around. How oh, Lawford's five four. The dude that Clay just fought is five three, and I and that's not me being funny or or being sarcastic. He fought like some five three midget, and that midget took him down twice. What do you think is going to happen when Fareed takes him down? Fareed's going to hold him down, and like I was talking about on the feet, how Fareed switches stances. He's got kicks. He's got straight punches. He's got everything you want. But on the ground, his ground and pound is nasty should he get caught in a submission his submission defense is on point he keeps his head on straight so i like everything about farid and again when you've beat a line by over a dollar like i already have um you know i could easily just take Clay just in plus 290 here and guarantee myself a profit and i think next year since i'm very i pride myself on beating line moves you know and getting the best of it nine times out of 10 next year i'm going to do a lot of guaranteeing profit a lot of hedging which is something i've never done just to kind of try a new strategy but here i'm writing it out i believe wholeheartedly in the Bashrap brothers farid especially and that's not to say anything bad about javid javid's amazing too but i love what i've seen from farid and i think the pressure is just going to be too much and i think it's going to be a second or third round finish you
1: know something i think that this is a punishment fight Um, I think that the UFC is punishing Clayton Rodriguez for missing weight uh, multiple times in a row. He had a canceled bout with Tetsuro Tyra, which was his own foible, um, cost them a matchup that they were trying to put on. I think it was the week of the fight as well um, that he had those problems. So, you know, not giving the organization much notice, not giving them much time, then having to rebook Tyra, who's uh, a priority for them, in my opinion, against a short notice opponent makes it harder for him, makes it harder for them. don't like that shit uh they like you to show up on weight and the one thing that dana white will tell you is if you miss weight once don't do it again twice in a row which is what he did so that's why this was not a hey Clayton, do you mind moving up to 135 it was this is the fight you're taking at 135 or we'll cut you probably because that's how the ufc operates it's a cutthroat business they're not very nice about it and he missed weight against shannon ross Yo, the Shannon Ross win doesn't mean a damn thing to me. I hate to say, right? Like, Shannon Ross has one of the worst chins in the history of high-level professional MMA. I'm not trying to be a jerk. Just calling it like I see it. He got knocked out with a flying butt. But at least
0: least, least he treated him like Shannon Ross. At least that.
1: Yes, of course. But so did Jesus Aguilar, who's got the shortest reach in the history of the division. It's like anybody could treat him like Shannon Ross. So that's the the one hiccup that I'm having there. And I, I've been fading Shannon Ross the whole way out and didn't bet Aguilar by knockout. And it's it literally, I wake up every day like, oh, I should have bet Aguilar by knockout. Like, I, I literally have those flashbacks. It haunts me. But CJ Vergara is going out there and beating you over the course of a decision. You're getting decision by CJ Vergara in the UFC. Like, that can't happen, brother. That just can't happen uh, at this level for a guy who's supposed to be this kind of prospect. Changing camps, maybe that'll come around. But normally, shout out to my guy, Dan Tom. He always talks about it. When guys first change camp, sometimes they don't even look like the last version of themselves. They look worse. They look regressed. It takes a little while to get used to a new system, to new coaching, to new training partners, to feel like you're part of the team and part of the family. So for all those reasons, I feel like this is an uphill battle for Aclades and Rodriguez. What is his best skills? Where, where does he want to leverage the fight? He's got some power. He can mix in some submission grappling. Against this guy, I don't think he's the better striker by a clean margin, and I don't think he has any grappling upside. I think they were trying to cash him out against Hatsuro if you want the God's honest truth. But uh, I think now instead they're cashing him out against Basharat. Best of luck. I, I think Basharat round three or decision would be my only difference from what you said. Um, he is a guy that doesn't take unnecessary risk. So, like, if it's about winning the fight and he thinks, like, oh, you know, I could step over here and maybe risk getting bucked out of the mount or I could hold half guard for the next 30 seconds, I think he'll hold half guard. But I don't think that that means, uh, you know, he's not going to win. I think that's going to win in more fights overall um, than if he was the other way. So uh, position over submission, I think Basharat gets the win later in the fight.
0: Also, explain this to me. Why was Farid Basharat minus four something against Damon Blackshear? And why did I get minus 245 on Farid against Klayjason?
1: I believe it's because Klayjason is a Brazilian. And I believe it's because Blackshear is a guy that has a bunch of losses Uh, that I think is really the as reductive as that is. I believe that's the reason because Blackshear, he's gone against all these good grapplers and he's lost to a few of them, but he's never been submitted. He's fought the, the Pat Sabatini's of the world and not been submitted. So it's like he's clearly very high quality on the mat. And Basharat was running him for his paper. I bet Basharat by sub there. And that was against Blackshear, who never gets submitted. He still had opportunities. But Blackshear, just a different caliber in my view. So, yeah, I, I agree. Should be priced similar, um, if not more significant, because Blackshear is a proven 135.
0: You know that even now with the with the line move, Bashrat is still less of a favorite against Klaygis than he was against Damon Blackshear. So, honestly, there's still value on it, in my opinion. So, But I'm happy to beat a line by over a dollar, as always. And uh, let's get it, kid. Last but not least, now I heard, you know, on that UFC uh, roster watch thing that uh, Jacqueline Calvacanchi got removed, but then uh, my boy Big Marcel said that that was a bunch of bullshit. So that remains to be seen, but we'll talk about this fight anyway. So next up, we got an 140-pound catchweight bout between Zara Fern. It used to be Zara Fern dos Santos, but now that she's fighting in France, it's just Zara Fern. She's 6-5. and five. Sticking on Jacqueline Calvacanch, who's five and one representing Portugal. And currently they got it Jacqueline Calvacanch minus 350. The comeback on Zara Fern Dos Santos is plus 285. So um is Zara French or is she Brazilian? But look, like, more importantly than that, look, my girl Zara is just up there in age. She's 39 years old. She look, she's tough. I mean, I know people that bet um on Josiane Nunes and they laid that uh, that big price. He was like minus 500. They're putting in her parlays. Zara Fern went out there and won that first round, <laughs> gave a lot of people a scare. And on the feet, I don't think she's so bad. It's just, you know, she does slow down as fights progress. Ground game has never been on the best. And then with Jacqueline Cavacanchi, you know, like we were talking about, she fought Nora, who's on this card and won a hard fought decision. She's a very physical young lady. Um, and she can do it all. She can knock women out, which is something you don't often see, when she gets on top, her ground and pound's nasty. She can go all three rounds hard. Um, I think the physicality difference is going to be the difference here. And her only loss was you know, a split decision in PFL to Martina Yanjova, who I know her record doesn't look the best, but, man, I thought she just got robbed against Julia Budd. I saw that fight in Atlanta, and we were like, <gasps> when they read the decision, we were like, oh, my God, are you kidding me right now? Um, but uh, all that's neither here nor there. Um, as long as it's not a debut stunt. Because we talk about all the time, sometimes they make that debut stunt, you know, Tyler Santos, Daniel Zell Huber, et cetera, et cetera. But as long as there's no debut stunt here, I just think the physicality, the will to win, the pace, it's just going to be too much. And Jacqueline Calvacanci should come out here and get it done in her debut.
1: Yeah, this is one where I'm definitely um, not inclined to lay chalk in these kind of spots. Because think about our girl, Jacqueline Amarim. You know, uh, again, that was a little bit of a tougher matchup against Sam Hughes, more proven girl, but like still skill for skill, she had her covered. Right. And like, she took her down. She looked like everything you thought she was in the first round and she gassed out, you know, that was a spot where she's got a big moment. She's only had five, six professional fights. And now she's in there with somebody that's had some more fights. That's been in some tough spots and that was able to rally and come back late in the fight. And I think People then underrated Amarim coming into her next fight. But we see so many times people are like, all right, now I know what to expect, right? I could tell you from personal experience. I went to a Men of War show. I did two matches the first time out. And the first match that I did, I I felt terrible about my performance because there were some things that were rushed. There were some things I didn't feel great about. And I was so anxious to get back out there a second time because I was like, now I could do so much better knowing what I know now about how it's going to feel. This is the same thing for every fighter, right? And it's especially when you move from a regional scene to like a big show in the UFC, you know, you don't know if there's going to be 15,000 people in the arena uh, to kick it off at the A as the, the show's getting started. And Zara Farron, the one credit I will give her, she's cutting weight for this fight. So if she didn't care at all about her career, she's taking another fight at Featherweight, getting cut from the roster, going on four. But at 39 years of age, she's cutting down to 135 after fighting a few fights at featherweight. And she looks like she's in half decent shape. She does not have a lot on social media. So I'm not t- saying bet Zara Farron, right? I thought it was interesting that they took a picture with all the French fighters. You know who wasn't in there? Zara Farron, because she's not French, okay? She moved to France at 14. I read about her because I was like, is she French or not? Like, what's going on here? I, be- I don't even think she was born to French parents. I think her brother... Moved to to France to play basketball professionally, and she went with him. So then she has lived in France, but like that's kind of her connection to France. Like she is Brazilian, and I don't think that she got all the benefits of being a Brazilian that then trained somewhere abroad. You know, um, so she seems like an okay fighter, decent, well rounded skills, but thirteen year age gaps betting into those isn't a long term success strategy either. Um, so I feel like my lean is towards Cavalcante. I think she should win, but. I've seen this story too many times with so So I'm, I'm not laying any chalk price here.
0: Yes, sir. Well, Liam, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me right here, right now on half the battle. Normally we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, but we just, got carried away in conversation. It's been an absolute blast talking uh, fights with you, my man, as always. Y'all make sure you follow my boy Liam at Liam Picks Fights on Twitter and on YouTube as well. Subscribe to his channel. Congrats on the recent dub, and all his links are on there. So definitely follow him for the fans. Thank you all so much for all your support that you've shown me, whether it's from day one, whether it's along the way, or whether it's recently. I sincerely appreciate it please smash the like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And when this is over, leave me a comment. I really appreciate that. And if you feel so inclined, please share as well. So we really appreciate it. Thank you again to Liam and uh, enjoy the fights. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.